So I'm, rec I'm recording now, and uh, this is an, an on one of the few, but I, maybe there'll be more. I, I do like them. One of the few episodes of Getting Better Acquainted where I'm walking uh, with my guest. We're in uh, Angel, in, yeah, Angel, and we're walking. We're walking towards the canal. So what you can hear in the background now is probably for people who don't like messy audio this is probably the messiest bit so if you can deal with this bit it's only going to get better after this but i, I well, like if you are fond, fond of mess this will be well up your street right absolutely <laughs> i like mess i like messy sounds and i'm talking to somebody who i suspect likes mess too uh, but i should probably start the show the way that i normally do hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted yeah. with Michael Brunstrom. Uh, hello, Michael. Hi, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's always, it always makes me laugh uh, when I say that to people because I've, I've already been talking to them. Today it's even weirder because I've already been talking to you on mic. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Well, uh, I think I first came across you maybe ah, three or four years ago? Four years ago? Yeah. Something like I that. I think so. And I think um, it was Steve Rowe who put you in touch with me because you were looking for somebody who might be able to improvise a Greek tragedy that's right and, and you were uh, the person to go to for that and I was I, was I was I actually happened to have been assembling a Greek tragedy at that time <laughs> so it was perfect it took a little while for us to uh, get ourselves together to uh, to guest on stand-up tragedy that's right which is the night you ran and still continue to run yeah and that was a lot of fun I mean that was one of my favorite things we had that was in the first year of doing stand-up tragedy I think you were, you were quite close to the end of the run, but it was the first year I was doing it. And uh, when I'd come up with the idea of stand-up tragedy, I'd been thinking about what kind of performance, like what kinds of performance I could have on stage. Like I wanted to get as many kinds of tragedy as possible. And I sort of like wrote down tragic burlesque and improvised tragedy. And I didn't think either of those two things would happen. We, we've had improvised tragedy from you guys I'm trying to think if we've had tragic burlesque no I don't think so I've been trying to get tragic burlesque for so long I mean, there oh, must I'm be sure, I'm sure there, it must there, be possible yeah there definitely are I've talked to people who were right for it but it hasn't just it just hasn't uh, fixed up it hasn't lined up yet but, but who knows in the future but you guys like it was specifically improvised Greek tragedy right it was great it was hilarious like it was a comedy um, even though it was tragedy but it but you took you took the form of of Greek tragedy <laughs> Well, we didn't. Uh, yeah, we weren't trying to be comical about no, it. No, no, right. We were that's trying true. to be hysterical. I think was the uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You know, trying to take it as seriously as, as we possibly could, and right. do, you know, full, you know, full balls out. Right, and know. allowing the fact that the tragedy was composed of information taken from the audience to be the joke. That, that you guys were just playing it really straight, but the yeah. the material that you had made it funny rather than the uh, style you chose to take. You were, t you were trying to go more for the actual Greek tragic form, right? Yeah, and the that's what, yeah. And that was, I mean, it was one of my favourite things that we've had. And it's been sad that sort of shortly after that, that sort of stopped happening. So I've sort of carried on bothering you 
and then eventually <laughs> and then eventually he said well i tell you what i can do something else if you'll stop bothering me and then uh, then i had you on doing your own thing as well yeah and that's been really great as well well you, I've, I've always enjoyed doing a stand-up tragedy <laughs> partly it's the the range of acts that you manage to get on you know that uh, you always have some music and some storytelling and some poetry which always makes a night it's not it's not the easiest thing to do is to have a range right it's and, have, hard. and there are some nights like that which don't quite work and it's kind of a kind of awkwardness of you know something you know joyful following something a bit quiet or something serious following something comical but I really enjoy stand-up tragedy. There's something about the mood of it that's just like some sort, some relaxed vibe. It's funny, isn't it? Going that, on. That, that, that I think I do. I've heard that sort of thing before, but it's kind of interesting because it's hosted by me, and my my hosting style isn't very relaxed. Oh, I, I said it's very relaxed. <laughs> well, it's relaxed about being unrelaxed, I guess, or, or or comfortable with being awkward. That's what I like to think. Ah, oh, yeah. Now that's. Uh... <laughs> That's definitely a way forward. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you're right about who, who, who put me on to you, but I don't really know that, that person. I, I found that person through James Ross, and he, he put me on to some improvisers, and then you were the person who everybody... Like, you were the person who, when, when, I, when he was asked by me, who can improvise Greek tragedy, you were the answer. Yeah, I mean, I've seen your work in lots of different... Your, your comedy work in lots of different forms, I guess, because I first knew you as an improviser. Yeah. In, in improvised, you were in improvised groups. You did a night uh, not too far away from where we are now, actually, I think, at some point that I came and saw you were doing sort of more long-form improvised stuff, I think. Yeah, that's right, yeah. We, myself and Luke Bean That's right. Had a, uh, had a night where we did some long-form, sort of two-prof, two-man right. improv with guests and we had a, some nice uh, kind of character comedy acts and I suppose I was perhaps slightly inspired by stand-up tragedy we wanted to have a kind of a uh, mix of stuff a mix, right a mix of stuff no that's true and that's why I mean that's one of the reasons I sort of came was to see I always like to see how other people are trying to do the sort of things that I'm trying to do but I mean that's what you, what I knew you as as, a, as, a, as an improviser so the next question that I ask everybody is what do you do now? Uh, these days, I don't do uh, improv anymore. I've kind of moved away from that. It's slightly, uh, uh, it's a slightly, a slightly painful breakup. You know, it felt <laughs> like coming out of a relationship. Right. Uh, and now I do uh, almost exclusively solo comedy stunts. Uh, <laughs> that's what, that's how own. you describe yourself, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. I, I know I should be better at. Uh, trying to sell sell it but it doesn't quite uh, I never quite managed to get it down to less than three words it's yeah it's uh, it's hard to describe what comedy you do. stunts I tend to but there's a there's a uniform like in the terms of the shows that you do that like when it's when it's a kind of hour long thing that's an interesting thing to think of as a stunt or is that a series of stunts tied together <laughs> or I mean what well, so far my shows have been I suppose series of stunts tied together in a, into a uh, into a theme. My next project is what I'm working on. That's more what I'm doing now. Actually, when, when you uh, when you found me, I was pen in hand trying to put together a show which is a uh, a single stunt, a single <laughs> one stunt a sing- from beginning to a end. A single caper is already it's uh, it's becoming a bit bitty. But uh, many many I, I think many com- comedians compose their shows as as bits and right. then put them together. But I, I'm in, I'm intrigued by the challenge yeah. of putting uh, an hour-long caper. Right. Um, and you wouldn't use the word stand-up about yourself. 
uh, not, <laughs> not especially. It's, it's me. Uh, generally, me on a stage, an audience there, and sort of funny in places, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're... I'm not. I, but stand up is its own. Has its own culture to it and its own, its own conventions uh, and I've certainly performed at stand-up nights. But you're not really about conventions, you're like the opposite of conventions in what you do, right? Would I you do, say or is that, is that fair? I don't, I don't set out to be different, you know, I don't make a list of what's done and right. then do the opposite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but certainly if I can... If, certainly if, if, if things are done in a certain way and I see no reason why they're done that way. I mean, it's hard to describe yourself any, generally and <laughs> your, your comedy is hard to describe even if, even if you're not you. I find it quite hard to describe. But that is a compliment in a way. I, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it definitely... Like your show this year in Edinburgh was one of my favourite... Like one of my favourite things I saw, oh, I think. Like definitely in terms of the comedy, I think... Uh, you and Sophie Hagen and Mark Dean Quinn are the ones that are coming to mind as my absolute standout favourites, although there probably were some others and I'll feel guilty that I haven't mentioned them. But Sophie Hagen's like the opposite of what you do because she's like personal storytelling, like laying out her, her life and herself yeah. and her soul. And what you do is you get up and you talk... Well, in theory, you talk about steam trains for an hour, but there were some other things involved as well. I mean, the most conventional moment of your show this year in Edinburgh... I would say, um, <laughs> was when you destroyed uh, Jeremy Clarkson's autobiography uh, physically. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say it was that conventional, because not normally do you go to see a comedian who rips up a, a book in that kind of way. <laughs> but that's like the, the most relatable, <laughs> ostensibly, the thing that people can go, oh, yeah, we... We saw that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well... People can go, yeah, we don't like Jeremy Clarkson, so taking the piss out of Jeremy Clarkson makes sense. But anything else I could describe, people wouldn't quite, <laughs> couldn't, wouldn't get how funny it was and how weird it was and how genuinely, like, I was touched in an emotional way by your show this year. And I had not expected that at all, based on the show that I'd seen the year before that you did, which was weird and funny and sometimes an endurance test, but it didn't touch me in an emotional way, whereas this, this show this year, yeah, it I did. It's not... Um, uh, <laughs> you're right in that I don't find it easy to talk about myself. I don't have that kind of confessional side to myself. I, partly I put that down to my own Here Comes a Bicycle. Yeah, it's, that's going to be an interesting audio element. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's going to confuse me because I don't know where it's coming from because of the microphone and headphones. We should point, actually point out for the uh, listeners that we're now down by the canal. Yeah, the quieter part, in theory. Where there is a constant battle between pedestrian and cyclist. <laughs> it, it's partly lack of experience that's... Uh, I find it hard to open up on stage and talk about myself. I have the greatest admiration for those uh, who do, who those who can be uh, more, you know, uh, naked on stage uh, emotionally. Well, well, that's another thing. I was very surprised when uh, you were you were at a stand-up tragedy gig. Where you, I mean, I loved the piece you you did for that, Mary Mary Grant. But at that gig was one of the first times I'd shown a, a piece of my my own confessional uh, show on stage that year and you sort of like afterwards said you know 
you thought it was good and you appreciated it. And I, I was surprised to hit that you would that you would that you would be as interested or enjoy sort of confessional stuff because you're sort of, in a way, to me, you're like a, a magician. Like you're you live outside of reality. You're sort of like a <laughs> I, I don't know a surreal a surreal pixie. I don't know something like that. Which yeah. I, obviously you're not. <laughs> and it's good to be reminded. Of that. No, I I. I, I, I I enjoy I enjoy all kinds of uh, comedy and all kinds of performances. Yeah, sure. But you can see when somebody's being truthful, someone's being, you know, honest with themselves. Yeah. Um, and that can take take any form. Um, so is your... I, 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 yeah, if if I find it difficult talking about myself, I it, it's my comedy I I see as being partly about that difficulty. Right. Okay. Um, so. You, it's, a, it's about being. It's about the awkwardness that we we have when we yeah. turn it. We tend tend to turn everything into tend to turn things into symbols or you know gestures or movements or yeah. you know the, the daily activities that we go through every day. Right. Because what you do is physical. It's it's very physical comedy. That you yeah. Do, uh, which was a bugger this year because you you did your leg in, didn't you? I think at the beginning of the run in Edinburgh. Yes. The, right. Yeah. On the second show, I. Uh, yeah, I did my knee in, hoping to uh, to, to leap uh, <laughs> impressively onto the stage of the hive. Well, that yeah. in itself has a kind of comic poignancy. <laughs> the, the, in, in this idea of like, and that it was certainly real. Yeah. It was certainly right, real. Right, uh, right. It did. Uh, I, I did add a, a level of, uh, of of actuality to the, uh, to the entire run. Which I, I could never have come up with <laughs> at the writing stage, um, right? And so you, and you also, you're, so you've you've done years as a, as a, of improvisation. I mean, do you bring that to your shows now? Is are they improvised or are they? I mean, you write them, don't you? You sit down and write. I them, sort I of write. I don't write down. Don't write down all the words. Right, but there aren't many of those. Sometimes uh, there aren't. I yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the, the script consists of, you know, say this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and I do like interacting with the audience. Yeah. Uh, so those, those bits can't be entirely scripted. Uh, so I like finding out what the audience has got to say and getting them involved in arguments. Um, so they provide a, uh, an improv uh, element to the, uh, to the enterprise. Right. And, I mean, so... Is what you're saying that what you do is your surrealism is actually the same kind of thing that a confessional uh, comedian is trying to do of like get to some kind of truth about the human condition just from a completely in a completely different way. Well, I think I think any kind of creativity is about getting to some sort of some sort of truth, right? Uh, for, uh, at least that's what I, I would hope because. You're trying to be, uh, you're trying to be honest. You're trying to be, uh, uh, you're trying to be yourself. Uh, you're trying to uh, articulate an experience. Well, that's art at its best, or comedy at its yeah. best. It's not all. I don't think all co comedy succeeds in that, or all, all comedy is even trying to do that. I think some there, there are some comedians who are cynically trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator, and there's some com comedians who are just interested in. I mean, I guess that's a kind of truth, but when you're interested in one-liners or puns and stuff like that, that's more about, I don't know, that's, that's more sort of mathematical than philosophical, I guess, but it's still good. I mean, it's still a, a human truth, I guess. The perfect pun, I guess, is some kind of human truth. Well, um, 
Um, I'm, I'm a great fan of some of the pun comedians. I am too, yeah. Uh, 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 of, uh, of Darren Walsh as well. Um, well, they, Beck, had that, they had that with um, Beck Hill. Yeah, Beck Hill does a really great night called Pun Run that I've enjoyed. As, and even though I'm not even a massive fan of puns, I think if you have a space that's allowed, to, where puns are allowed, it's very liberating. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Perhaps, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Darren Walsh and I, he, we're, in a way, we're kind of similar in that we're both communicating ourselves, but both but within, uh, behind a certain screen. Right. Uh, Darren Walsh won the, the pun of the, Dave's, was it, pun of the fringe this year. Yeah. But the idea that you can reduce a whole show or a whole persona or a whole, you know, Anyone thing down to, to you know, down to, down, down to a single pun, or even all his puns. Darren, Darren is much more yeah, right, than the right, sum of sure. his puns. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not just... It's a, it is much more than... I'd say it's much more than just mathematics. I wasn't using mathematics in a derogatory sense. No, no, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, there so. is something beautiful about structures, about moving things around to get them perfect. Like, I think that's, that's a... I mean, that, and, and the more I talk about that, the more I think, yes, that is also like, the human condition. Like, it might not be confessional, it might not be surreal, but it's still something that's about what it is to be human, what it is to be in the world, all of those things, yeah. you know. And, so, and, you know. and it's, in, it's in the live performance as well. It's not just in the, uh, the skill of the punner, it's not just in the, the, the working out of the games of language, but also in, the, in, in their execution. Right, uh, absolutely. But in the way that you execute it, it's still about precision, I think. What you do is kind of what you do and what confessional comedians do and why there's more I think a parallel between those two art forms for you now we're talking about it is that, that both of those are a little bit more messy a little bit more like and I'm not saying that there are messy pun comedians who are brilliant <laughs> like you know whenever you make an absolute statement it's a it's a lie but yeah <laughs> but, but but when but you know we use these lies to make sense of the world as much as anything else mm. so I mean what I'm trying to say is one of the things I like or admire or engage with in your performance is this kind of is the, is the messiness of it, is the, is the sense that anything could happen mm. at any moment. Because, first of all, you do very strange things. And secondly, you allow the world to influence and change what's happening. So that still also means... That well, it's, very, it's very important to me that something actually happens <laughs> on stage. Yeah. And for a great confessional performer, you will see people's heart, you know, melt. You know, and that will, right. they will be... You know, emotionally changed. Yeah. In the course of that, uh, uh, in the course of that performance. Right. Uh, I have yet to develop a skill of causing people's hearts to melt, but uh, I don't know. I'd like to see My something. I'd like to see something, but year. I will do it through at least something physical will happen. A change will take place. A book will be destroyed, and there's no putting that book back together again afterwards. So, I mean, are you trying to like with your show this year? Were you trying to say something? Or is the things that I thought you were saying all me, imposing that on your art? There, there, was, a, there was a theme, there was an intellectual uh, theme which was about nostalgia right. and about attempting to present a narrative of the world the way you would like it to be, the way which feels comfortable. Right. We, we, tell, we tell ourselves stories about the past, for example, about, um, about our own past in a way... That, I use the golden age of steam as a kind of metaphor of this because the golden age of steam never quite existed. It's right. a, it exists. Um, it's a concept. Principally in the minds of uh, railway enthusiasts <laughs> who are reconstructing something. Right. And are you a railway enthusiast? Uh, 
Not especially. I've, I've, I've read some books about it. I enjoy, enjoy seeking out a, uh, a steam line when I'm somewhere somewhere in Dorset. We nearly lost a cyclist there. <laughs> You're not pas- passionate about steam. It's not your... Like what? No, I, 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 I enjoy people with enthusiasms. Right. I, okay. I think that's it. I, I, I get a kick out of people who have um, a great passion for minutiae because there, there's a slight insanity about that. Yeah. Um, I've always been somebody who talks quite general, like yourself. I'll come up with generalised statements. Um, <laughs> you know, I trade in these kinds of uh, grand untruths. Right. Um, so I've always admired people and found fascinating people who can, you know, debate between particular, you know, engine configurations and uh, yeah, and, and and you know, particular gauges of energy and how they might have been. People, people who uh, have got this kind of uh, very English garden shed mentality right. of tracking down each and every one I was in the Natural History Museum in Vienna a couple of weeks ago and uh, uh, as, as fascinating it is to see the elephants and the tigers and whatever you know, taxidermy they've got there almost more fascinating with the enormous great trays shelf upon shelf of minerals thousands and thousands of them in these uh, long glass cabinets one after the other and just the sheer exercise of trying to catalogue and categorise every last every last rock right <laughs> obsession yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> cameo from an audio celebrity almost <laughs> we just walked past someone I knew uh, who is Nina from In The Dark Radio uh, yeah so <laughs> they, they, they actually gave me a break for getting better acquainted like back in the early days I had a residency within the dark in a in a greenhouse in Wapping every night of the week I had different conversations and I guess that's one of the things that interests me about your work as well and one of the reasons that I kind of think it's very appropriate to be uh, doing this conversation whilst walking by a canal where anything can happen is that, that, that that's what I like about this show what I like about conversations is that they're kind of improvisational you don't know where they're going to go mm. uh, and that's kind of one of the things that you do in, in, when you do improvisation but I guess we've talked about how it's been how you don't do improvisation anymore when did you start doing improvisation? Uh, that must have been about about eight or nine years ago now uh, a kind of slightly woolly intro to to improv um, this was through uh, Ken Campbell do you know of he? Um, uh, rings bells uh, Ken, uh, Ken Campbell was a cyclist uh, Ken Campbell was a, uh, a, an actor and a uh, theatre director right he presided over a vast number of uh, of diverse and dramatic uh, capers over the course of his career. He uh, opened the Cottesloe Theatre and the National Theatre back in the 70s right. uh, with uh, his 18-hour production of The Illuminatus, the um, Robert Anton Wilson uh, caper, and then, and then followed that up with a, 20, uh, a 27-hour play called The Warp, which is based on Neil Oram's work, uh, his life and, and poetry. Yeah, and uh, then later on he, he was interested in... Uh, uh, he did a series of one-man shows, famously, 
furtive nudist, pig's birth, uh, jamais vu, then followed that up with promoting the universal language of pigeon, you know, the, 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 the language spoken in the South Pacific, you know, around the New Hebrides and Papua New Guinea. Yep. He translated Macbeth into pigeon and put that on. I managed to catch that one when it was on at the West End. So about nine years ago, I've, I've, I've now fallen into uh, anecdote mode. You may have noticed <laughs> the intonation becomes a bit different because I've told this story a bit. Right. Uh, I was in a pub in Kentish Town. And I, uh, I left about eight o'clock and I bumped into Ken Campbell in the street. And he was my hero. Right. And uh, I had a couple of pints, so I'd had the, the, the nerve, which I wouldn't ordinarily have, to say, uh, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. And he was like, oh, he was very pleased and delighted. And we started walking and talking, much like you and I are talking right now. And we came to the point, the corner of the road, where I was supposed to turn left and go back to, down to the tube down Lake Avenue. But uh, I found myself just following my hero and chatting with him. And now, now the problem was not how do I get into a conversation with my hero. Now is how do I get out of this conversation? <laughs> a few doors up Toriano Avenue, we came to a door. And at this moment, Ken Campbell turned to me and he said, So are you coming in then? <laughs> I said, Yes. So I went through this door and I was in the Toriano Meeting House, which is a kind of weird performance space stroke publishers. They publish quite a lot of poetry. And uh, there were a group of people. There was Josh Darcy was there from the School of Night and Zoot Lynam. Do you know Zoot Lynam? The son of Chris Lynam was there. And uh, a girl called Shelley Islam, who has since disappeared. And, they, and, and Ken was teaching a workshop on... Uh, it, 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 it wasn't improvisation back then. He didn't call it improvisation, so I didn't know what it was. Uh, he was doing a bardic extemporisation. And I was introduced to the group as a, as a, as a classmate. And we did, uh, yeah, a whole, uh, whole evening of bardic, of, of hard bardics. Right, um, so, how, I mean, how old, how old were you this time? Oh, this was about... Um, so this, you said ten about, years? No, about, yeah, about nine, nine ten years ago, yeah. So right. About 31, 32. So before that, had you had any interest in improvisation or comedy? No, I'd not done any performance right. of any kind before... Before you met your before hero, before I met my hero, and, and said, went to an improvisation yeah, class. Just yeah, you just found. I just found myself doing that. So what's before that? What what were you doing before that? What was what was what was the person who was taken into that improvisation class doing at the time? I was I was uh, working in the, in the book publishing you know business. Uh, well, I still work. I do work as a uh, as an editor and occasional bit of design work. I was probably unhappy and kind of clicking my heels and not not really knowing what to. Uh, do yeah do yeah. back at university which now seems a very long time ago right i fancied myself as a uh, as a as a, as, a, as a writer of poetry and plays right. and, I wrote, and i wrote a few very strange plays and uh, i put on a quite an amusing caper at, at college uh, called coffee which was about a pair of twins who's lives were rubbish without coffee and then they find coffee and kind of reunited as a kind of like an amoeba in reverse they, they became one yeah and then after after college i uh, did a bit of work doing lights and sound for fringe theatres that kind of thing this was a uh, as much as i dared 
progress. You know, I, was, I would come out from behind uh, writing to kind of sitting at the back in the dark. But I, I didn't like that at all. I kind of hated it. Uh, I don't think I liked theatre people. Uh, I know what you mean. I studied theatre at university and uh, write theatre, wrote theatre for years. And uh, I, I do get on mostly with, my, well, you know, as any, as any group, theatre people are actually more diverse than that. Mm. But I understand some of the general feeling of, of that, that some people get about, like, kind of too emotional, over-emotional, fakely emotional. These are things that, that can exist within that broad milieu, mm. if you like. I never used the word milieu. Uh, <laughs> on mic, I don't think, before. Wow. I think you seem to be pronouncing it much better than most French things I, I, I attempt to say. Well, right. let's stick with milieu. That's an interesting <laughs> word. I think I might, yeah, I might take up milieu. The, the alternative is something like clique. You're socially awkward. If you're feeling socially awkward, and I have, have a big chunk of that, and that's why I've, I've found it uncomfortable sometimes with theatre people, they often have because of the training because of the thing they want to do because of working together with each other they're often very good at having rapport social rapport and getting on with people and it can feel quite excluding I guess I, I, my some of my best friends work in theatre my knowledge, yeah, my knowledge of <laughs> theatre people is, is less, less well known having come back to performing especially you know via improv the, like the, for example the first thing that struck me when I, when I went through that door with uh, Ken Campbell was how supportive everyone was and this was not something I'd been expecting I'd, expect, I, I, I'd been expecting the actors to uh, you know throw up their hands at this complete right. amateur you know in their midst but everybody right. was very lovely absolutely so perhaps it says more about me and my state of yes. mind I think that's true for me too. When I felt excluded by theatre people, it's been that. And, and, and yeah, some of the most supportive experiences I've had in my life as a performer have been exactly with theatre people. Hmm. So I think it's been me all, the, all these years. Uh, <laughs> great. Good to work that one out. <laughs> uh, I think back in the past when I was writing weird stuff, I had a much more confrontational, you know, as young people do, yeah. I had a much more confrontational attitude. Right. Uh, you know, too. I had that kind of very much, I am a misunderstood genius, why does nobody get it? <laughs> so it's quite refreshing to come, come, come back and, and, and with a, yeah, perhaps a little bit more maturity. Right. Um, and generally I'm happier the less pleased I am with myself <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> no I, I do know exactly what you mean <laughs> so, you know what I mean? so I mean what did, what did you study at, at college I did, I did classics I at thought at you did yeah because yeah. I mean another thing we did like you did you did Greek the improvised Greek tragedy but you also did you performed at the, our, our night of uh, themed around Greek tragedy which was up against the bloody opening rap match of the World Cup so oh, it was yeah. like one of our less, smallest audiences we've ever had at Silent Tragedy great lineup. like everybody was brilliant that night that's when you nailed a, a grape into I know, I know. <laughs> into Justin Bieber's face yeah whilst reciting which was it was it the Aristea yeah and it was uh, the, uh, the Ode to Man I think from right. from, from uh, Sophocles uh, right uh, and Soph- Antigone right Sophocles is my favourite of the Greek tragedians who I've read. Yes. I haven't read them all. I, I read them as a teenager. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's classic. He's, <laughs> he's a he's classic. He's certainly, the, certainly the, easy, the easiest. Right. Yeah, I don't mean that as uh, d- dismissive, but he, is, he, he 
quotes the most modern and classically, you know, comprehensible. Yeah. Well, you could say stuff. easiest, or you could say pop. Yeah, accessible. And I, like exactly accessible. Those are nicer words. Uh, <laughs> but I was a teenager when I got into Sophocles, so I guess easier probably would also have appealed to me too. I know exactly where we are now. This is interesting. This oh, walk. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. We've been part. We've for, for listeners who are London uh, aware, we've walked from Angel past the Proud Gallery. Uh, proud archivist, done quite a, a lot of things there with Spark London and other things. It's a, a, we've actually walked past quite a, it's almost been a tour of venues at times, this little walk. We've Indeed, been past yeah, quite we a few walked past venues. The, uh, the Rosemary Branch Theatre where I did a bit of uh, teching back in the past. <laughs> um, yeah, and, that's, and you were talking about teching as well. So as you were a classicist and you were a writer... And then you kind of had some wilderness years. This is me making a narrative, making a lie out of your life. That's fine, no, unless <laughs> you, you have to, otherwise. You had these wilderness years, you meet your hero. How did you know, that, how, how did that guy become your hero? I mean, I've heard of him, and I, I mean, I studied theatre, so I should have done. But I'm, I'm not that familiar with him. We have to go even further back for that, because I, I got into the habit when I was around 14, 15, of going out to fringe theatre a lot. And a lot of the stuff was above pubs. But B, I was too young to drink in the pubs, so I'd actually be waiting outside with the smokers. And not that this is before smokers. Yeah, so we're just Um, waiting outside. Waiting outside (laughs) with the the children. Um, Yeah, and and at least once a week I'd go and see something weird above. Those, for me, they were the glory days of French theatre. What are we talking about? Kind of... uh, late 80s, early 90s, I mean, it's as far back as I go. Time Out is just a wash with fringe theatre listings, and there seems to be so many, so much stuff happening in rooms above pubs. And generally speaking, for, for a concession like myself, it would cost two or three quid to see a show, to see a, to see a play. Wow, that does sound um, like a glory, glory days. And some of it, a lot of it was quite avant-garde. I remember seeing... Now, what was it called? Damn it, there was a play by Ricardo Pinto which had a man and a woman, they took their clothes off and they went behind the screen and they talked about tennis. That was at the, uh, the Hope and Anchor. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's just terrible when your memory starts going. They say it comes back when you get a bit older. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, and uh, my mate John Stahl from those days he'd, he'd sometimes accompany me and he'd so he'd he'd, he'd come across Pigsburg and he told he told me to come along to see uh, see Ken Campbell I think at the Almeida not far from here again yeah and I was hooked and I hooked hooked on Ken Campbell and I'd seek him out wherever he was doing little bits uh, sometimes at the Battery Arts Theatre or the London Bubble or one of those places and so how old were um, you then when you when you saw that we're kind of about 16 right you know. The prime age to get something really pushed into you. I guess the mid-teens and also the mid sort of between five, like five and eight is also quite a pivotal time, I think. But anyway, right. <laughs> childhood in general I, is I, when you, you get imprinted, whatever, whatever point in that. I don't know why I'm trying to make some rules up again. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take your word for it because I have very few memories of being a child. So I don't really remember going back even that further. I'm told it comes back. I, I'm, I'm in. Who's uh, told you that? I don't. I've never heard that before. Do you, have you ever said the people who? Uh, 
Oh, that's yeah, true. The, the elderly. No, no, that's get rid of... that is true. Um, my dad's ninety-one, and, and and definitely he he remembers his childhood and his and his younger years more. Well, certainly, my dad did. He used yeah. to. Uh, Talk, you know, and he enjoyed it because it would be so. Oh, I've suddenly remembered, and he would, you know, be desperate to communicate what he, you know, very, very specific memories from a very long time ago, which he had previously forgotten. Right. I'm absolutely. really looking forward to my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I piece that puzzle together. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Well, I tell you, I, as someone who makes stuff mostly about my childhood, I, I could do with forgetting it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> sure, thing, that's um, pretty grim. So you, you have these wilderness years, you meet Ken Campbell, you, you go into an improv class, you get hooked. Mm. What happens then? What's the development between there and now being a, a, a surreal onstage comedian who makes things about nostalgia? Uh, <laughs> So what happened in the time between that improv class and now? Not in, a, not in the whole world, in, in specifically in your creative life. <laughs> I did a, uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of improv. I, it was uh, going through, um, yeah, through Ken Campbell. He re- I, I required an additional push from Ken uh, before I started doing kind of regular uh, improv class and I found out what it, what it was, uh, the whole improv milieu. <laughs> I suddenly found myself... Uh, in the heart of and I did it I did it like crazy for uh, a good five years or so but then also at the same time I would there would occasionally be the opportunities partly in these kind of mixed build nights where I was given the opportunity to get up and do, do something uh, non-improv-y just something a bit weird on my own the, the odd stunt yeah and bit by bit I'd, I started to enjoy those bits more than the improv the improv is uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a milieu it's a it's a what you might unfairly call a clique and I found myself wanting yeah just wanting to explore what I could do on my own right uh, explore my own creative impulses uh, one of the fundamentals of improv is it's a collaborative art form right so you're not there to entirely explore your own creative output you're there to explore each other's right uh, to, 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 to yes and each other's right and I just wanted to kind of step back and say well I've got these sort of creative ideas can I just pursue them in themselves, on my own for a bit, just, just yes and myself a bit, and see where it leads, and see what it is I have to say, uh, if anything. <laughs> um, and perhaps bit by bit, uh, as act follows on, as follows on act, something of myself comes out eventually. Right. Start to be entirely yourself, or you find a mode of expression which suits your, your particular mode of you know, personality. Uh, that's not to say that you become, you know, slicker or more open or more conventional. Sorry. <laughs> nearly, nearly knocked a cyclist over. That's it, yeah. Trying to be too slick. <laughs> no, uh, the cycl- find- not, not, not the cyclist. I was trying to... Listeners, I was trying to be too slick. I was trying to... Shuffle across the pathway in a in a skillful gliding motion, which the towpath takes no prisoners. <laughs> you have to either, yeah, push or be pushed. <laughs> so as as so so you decided to 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 
pursue your own creativity, mm. which I th- I'm, I'm not judging you for. I mean, I, I think there's, there's, there's amazing things that come through collaboration, but there's also a lot of things you lose. Like, uh, you gain a lot as well. It just depends on what you want to work on. Like, I love collaborating, but when I'm collaborating, I'm often frustrated that I can't, you know, really focus on something and explore the unified idea. And then if I'm doing that, I'm like, why aren't I collaborating? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've only got myself to rely on. No other ideas, no other input. God, how do I have ideas? I've forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my, you know, my, f- my favourite improvisers amongst that milieu were the ones... <laughs> now it's stuck. It's like, it's uh, were the ones who were also solo performers. You know, it's the ones who were also actors or uh, character comedians or stand-ups. Because I think they had... They... Through going through that process of expressing themselves on their own, they had a kind of, they have a kind of benchmark. They have a, a confidence. They have a, they're comfortable in themselves. They're able to let go of that bit of ego in themselves. I think, right. But, and that's what helps them to become better improvisers. And I think for a while I felt more, I, I, I was, ne- thank you. I was never a very good improviser. I think partly because I'd only ever done improvisation. Right. So I don't think I'd, I'd develop those, what you might refer to, and this is also untrue, but those, the, those kind of uh, performance chops, you know, those kind of X-factor, comfortable being on stage in front of people. Right. Um, so are you comfortable being on stage in front of people? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think what I'm doing is expressing that, a bit like yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy watching you be awkward <laughs> because you're being yourself. Right. You know. Yeah, no, I, I, don't mean, think, I don't think it's, it's, not about, it's not about slickness, it's about, but it's about being yourself and being comfortable, you know, or at least for that moment in, in putting, yourself, uh, putting yourself out there. Uh, that's why perhaps uh, performance chops or you know X Factor is 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 bullshit. Um, <laughs> in some ways, uh, I think there's there's but there's, there, but, but, there's, but there's, truth there's, that, a, there's skill and truth in performance chops, if yeah. you like, as well. Yeah, um, but not having uh, not having done anything but improv, I was very much too much in my head and being I had too much ego and had too much um, trying to prove something trying to be good right you know, um, so it wasn't improv it was you <laughs> when the, in the difficult in the difficult breakup it wasn't improv's fault it was yours uh, or is it 50-50 well <laughs> uh, it's very hard to talk about without you seeming slightly snidey I don't want to do that so I'll do my best to qualify everything I say <laughs> he said launching forward <laughs> with, um, with with gusto here's something I want to get off my chest there is uh, a problem with potentially there's always potentially a problem when you have a milieu uh, or as the term I normally use is clique right um, <laughs> and especially with improv where the principle is so supportive and so so yes Andy is that the practitioners don't quite get to see an outside view of what they're just doing they're just saying yes to each other they're supporting each other but only within a certain group of and I have to say fairly narrow group of similar kinds of young people right an echo uh, chamber a slight you know if you like yeah an echo chamber of the same ideas bouncing back towards the people it's not, it's not it, this is not how things always are as I say it's a, it's a, it's a generalisation it's an untruth but it's also 
that's always always a risk when you're talking in a slightly closed group the metaphor i found to which explains it best i think performing an improv is a bit like living in a lovely little village where everybody knows each other and everybody supports each other right um, and that could be a horror movie storyline <laughs> as much as it could be a nice film storyline, right? Um, I guess. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's lovely, you know, but uh, at the same time, I've always been a city dweller and I like, <laughs> I like diversity and I like uh, chaos and I like the anonymity that living in the city gives you. Right. And in the broader world of comedy, especially alternative comedi- comedy attached to the wider stand-up comedy circuit, there is a great amount of freedom that comes from nobody knowing or caring who you are. <laughs> and I also, on a practical level, I do think there is more diversity of people and of experiences. It's not, uh, not representative of the population as a whole. No. But I, think, uh, but I still it think there is... It does a bit better there than is, there some is, areas of representation, yeah. Than improv does. Right, um, right. And there's again, a broader, that, there's yeah. a broader range of range of voices in the uh, in in the comedy world than there is in improv world. And in improv world, the aim, of course, is to get numerous people together to make one voice. So, in a way, people are always coming from their own particular standpoints, whatever their, their you know their background or their social position or their, their own histories they're always moving away from that towards the centre point where everybody can agree on a set of ideas right I guess it's like the ultimate in compromise and compromise is great but it also irons out interesting things uh, I know what you mean it can all, all I'm saying is it can do right um, yeah 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 and that's a yeah like you say it's a generalisation there's exceptions at, at its best improv does the exact opposite yeah, that, that ping came from no I think cycle it was up there. that we could identify. <laughs> no, the important thing I want to stress is that improv can be, and its aim is to be the opposite of that. It is to take people beyond anything that their their, their preconceptions. Right, because um, we're all, like it becomes something more than it becomes you. more than the sum of its parts. Right, really and like. that's like a band is like. Yeah. That. I've been so, in music bands, and that, so I would take that, you up on that. that. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that improv is about compromise, but it is about. It can be about finding a shared set of assumptions, and what I personally, and this partly would have come back to me, you know, my side of the blame in this breakup is I, I didn't find that I could push assumptions within the improv world so much I was much more interested in okay how can we how can we be much more surprising how can we how can I be alarming and get people really not knowing what's going to happen next right improv (laughs) was a messy breakup it was it it was yeah you've got all the kind of emotions that people have after a messy breakup like some days you're going to blame improv some days you're going to (laughs) blame yourself some days you're going to sort of miss improv wistfully some days you're going to like be so happy that you're no longer with improv and you can get out and do your own thing yeah right but it it did become necessary after a uh, after a while to uh, to just focus on one thing and to step back from the uh, the the the, the improv circus (laughs) 
and having done that, I now feel more kind of liberated than ever, and that's the, that's that's the important thing. Right. I mean, and you're and you're you're you've decided to take a show again to Edinburgh. I've been watching you on Facebook, deciding that a little bit. Like, will I do it? Will I not do it? And I'm mm. not doing it this year, so I. I was interested to see if you would... I thought, if, if, if he capitulates, will, I, will that make me capitulate? Will I then go, oh, no, I have to do it? Because if, if, you know, it's the time of year when everyone's applying. Yes. And I'm watching that happen and sort of sitting on my hands going, nope, I can't, I've, decided, I've made my decisions, I've planned my <laughs> thing, I'm not going to do it. So you've decided to go back, right? Yes, because I, when it comes down to it, I love Edinburgh. And it's such a... Yeah, the, 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 the audiences are the best. Right, it's a very important thing. It's, it's somewhere where only only somewhere like Edinburgh could Mark Dean Quinn do his show. Right, or I could do my show. Yeah, or um, you know, or really John McRoberts do his show. It's 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 a fantastic place for those audiences, and that's something which is completely separate from the you know the career building aspects of Edinburgh. People right. say, "Well, you must do Edinburgh because." Otherwise, people will forget you, or you know, you need to keep yourself in the public eye. Well, right. in, a, in a sense, that's that, that that's less of a less of an issue. Oh, absolutely! You can go to Edinburgh and it not help your career in the slightest. Don't worry, I've had that experience a few times. Although, what does that mean? What does career mean? Like, it helps me as a person. I mean, I think that's the thing. What I like about Edinburgh is embracing the moment. Like everything is kind of like what you described earlier on when you were talking about urban spaces. Like it's chaotic. It's anything could happen. Weird things are happening. Like there's so many different kinds of people trying to do so many different kinds of things. Mm. Um, and that is exciting. And that's not to say that it's as diverse as it could be. No. <laughs> but uh, but 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 it but it is it is it has got you know comedy drama. Like everything's it's basically like a stand-up tragedy show, but you know writ large across a city. There's every act. Although I, I, I hope that I, I book you know, more consistently good acts than, than, than Edinburgh. It has consistently good shows. But then good is a, that's, yeah, that's a, very a thing that a... means something different to everybody. So, you know, I try to remember that, you know. Although I did see some shows. It, it, everybody has their own, yeah. uh, their, their, their own taste. Um, <laughs> when I'm booking for a stand-up tragedy, one has to... The, the reason why stand-up tragedy works is because there is a, a guiding hand over it. Right. You know, it's not... Uh, if your goal was simply diversity, <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, yeah. uh, it would turn into something uh, uh, different. Different. <laughs> yeah, it would different. Right. Uh, but, but, Ed- but Edinburgh itself is exciting. I love it, um, and I love it more for nothing to, like you say, nothing to do with career building stuff. I'm not sure it necessarily does much for my career apart from. In, in a practical way, it, I meet loads of people, yeah. and that is great. And actually, so most of the great connections I've made, so many good, whatever networking, it's good for. If if that's what I like to, I don't like to think of it as that. I like to think of it as making friends with people and watching their shows and enjoying yeah. myself. But but I mean, in a in a career sense, all it's really done for me is is is, is lost me money, uh, which I don't know if that's the the general. When people think of careers, they don't think, oh yeah, you better lose some money this year. Oh, yeah. you better lose some money this year. Then then you can say you're really doing well at your career. <laughs> so it's but it is so it's in some ways it's an economic, generally speaking, apart from some people, mm. uh, it's a, it's an economic. Uh, I mean, it's an economic decision. You know, you're going to probably lose, or at least break. You know, breaking yeah. even is still losing in some ways, whatever. So you know, you 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 accept that. The people who accept that are the ones who come away from Edinburgh having had 
good experiences. The people who don't accept that are the ones who find it depressing and despair-filled. Mm. And I've, you know, I've known, I've known a few people who have that experience at Edinburgh. Yeah, I, uh, I won't be going for the whole month. I've never done a whole month at Edinburgh because I don't see the, don't entirely see the point. It seems to me the, 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 the discipline of doing a show day in, day out will certainly, you know, break you in a good way. <laughs> you know, it will, certainly will destroy you and put you through an entire, entire emotional roller coaster, which can't be bad. Yeah. But I don't think it's, it's so it has that going for it. But I don't think it, 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 I don't think that's sufficient in order to justify, justify it. Basically, it's a bit like running a marathon. You know, you don't need to run a marathon in order to get fit, uh, and I'm certainly not very fit at all. So I'm baby steps. I think the conventional wisdom or whatever the Edinburgh wisdom that I hear most spoken of about that is that you need to do the full run to build up your audience. That that if you don't. Like, it takes a long time for the audience to hear about it word of mouth. It takes a while for the reviews to come out. And so to get an audience to come, because you, as you said earlier on, the, the Edinburgh audience is, 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 is excellent. You're absolutely right. But they are, they are hard to capture. They're like, they, they, not, you, not everybody has an audience, mm. or not a big audience necessarily. I mean, you're in a position where you're kind of... I don't know how your audiences were, but I think you're... You, you, you have a lot of respect within the industry, like within certain parts of the comedy industry, if you like. Yeah. Comedians like you, uh, and I like <laughs> you. I like what you do. The public aren't that aware of you, I guess, but you're getting, you've got audiences, that, you know, so that's, that's what you need. That's did. They didn't all stay until the end. Uh, <laughs> I had rather more walkouts this year than, him, than, than, than last year. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's, that surprises me, because I can imagine more walkouts happening from last year's show. That's really interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, there were there were some, but somehow it was more intimate. And, and this year, because I, perhaps I was in a bigger space, and I had uh, I also had people flyering for me, so that uh, perhaps what I was attempting to do wasn't entirely conveyed firsthand. If you talk to people yourself and you explain what it is you're doing, uh, then the audience may be small, but at least they won't be on any under misapprehensions. <coughs> and do you? I mean, I, I hate flyering. I mean, do you? Do you? Do you like that experience? Is it kind of like a, a little performance you're doing for each person you go up to? Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm excellent at it. <laughs> there, there, are, there are different flying approaches which work for different people. Yeah, I'm still um, to find of mine. <laughs> Mark Dean Quinn, king of flyers. He is an amazing flyer. Amazing flyer. He makes uh, it into an art form. And it, it, but yeah, he, he, he deploys a range of skills right from the very, very indirect scattergun approach of just blitzing an area with flyers and also the very uh, one-to-one personal approach right i mean sometimes his his flyering will be will be a performance in itself will yeah. be and will be will, will be kind of like i don't know i mean sometimes it's, it's sometimes he could fly watching him flyer is a beautiful experience i find and i don't find that with most flyering no like, that's true yes. even though i'm someone who has to fly it I will not go near the Royal Mile while I'm, in, while I'm in Edinburgh. I will avoid walking down the Royal Mile if I can absolutely possibly help it, because I hate getting given flyers. No, there's more creativity and thought and love going into his fly room than there are into some shows. Right, um, right, absolutely. Although his show this year was also excellent. Oh, amazing. I hope he will do it again so I can get people to more, like even more people to see it. But then that's part of his thing, is to actively kind of... <laughs> actively discourage the audience in some way like he's a very interesting yes uh, performer 
Yes. No, I, I think perhaps before this show that, uh, that, that he did this year, I, I might have written him off as an anti-comedian. Right. As somebody who goes out simply to be difficult and confrontational and break rules. And, but actually, what, I, what I've learned about him this, in, in the last uh, year or so is that he beats uh, the heart of a, a real poet in there. Right. He's, in, he, which, guides, which guides what he's doing. I mean, whether you define him as anti-comedy, which I think you can do, and, and that doesn't necessarily have to be an insult, or you define him as a comedian, mm-hmm. he's definitely an artist. Yeah. Like, that's what I was impressed with this year. I mean, I guess because... I mean, he was in the same venue as me, and uh, you were... Mm, you were on the same just down the road so yeah. I guess we all saw each other quite often because we were in a similar space and you know both of you guys were doing my sh- well I don't know if we had you this year did we have you this year no not this year anyone? sadly no that's sad um, but, but Mark did it once and so yeah like so we were all in the same space and I, I'd not I'd, I would have written him off as well until this year I think not, not written him off completely but just uh, yeah like I, I saw his process this year, yeah, and uh, that was and, I, and his show was amazing. But also knowing what his process was was very fascinating. If you if you want someone who's about obsession, then uh, mm-hmm. Mark Dean Quinn's process this year was very obsessional. Yes, and uh, it was almost like he spent more money per show than he ever would you'd ever get in a bucket. There were so many props involved in his show. I was always like, wow. Yes, and and great to see things get. They're, they're, he shares with me that desire for actuality for things to actually happen yeah oh yeah so the things that he his various props which he buys for his show they get used they get discarded they get thrown away they get right. used and they get so everything you know he has to start again the next day his show is basically like he has to go to this shop and buy this thing at this time and this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and mm. like it's actually like he may have been an hour on stage but he, he, he <laughs> every day was actually creating that performance from from you know all of the component parts of that performance were created every day that's the problem his show like your show great shows how do you sell them to people to get them in i i i find, i loved the shows and i just wanted people to see both of those shows they both touched me and, and they were funny and they were weird and they they were kind of like moving shows which people don't expect from kind of surrealist comedians but 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 how you can it's very hard how to, you can get people very, to, to very go. hard to write a, a, a press release uh, <laughs> yes because I, I i i like to think of myself as as i say I'm, I'm i'm happiest when i'm least pleased with myself i'm happiest <laughs> when i'm when i don't know what i'm doing entirely so I, I each show i do i'm not entirely sure what it is that i'm doing and that's part of the process right um, perhaps that's what i've still got in common with improv is that each show is around for that period of time only do you know what i mean it's not um, it's not a not a finished a finished enterprise ah. it's a process of discovery i'm doing with each with each show and with each performance Right. So it's very hard to say. Well, this is what this is, and this is finished. And this is I don't. I really. Don't, I really don't know. And this is what I'm going to continue to, to do. I'm going to carry on, not knowing, <laughs> what it is. And do you I don't like. I don't like using the word work in progress, because, that makes the audience feel that they're watching something which, hasn't quite been thought out. Yet. Right. But on another level, you know. So whatever, whatever happens, happens, uh, for good or ill. And that was, you know, final and definitive. But at the same time, yes, it's ever, ever, everything is just an exploration, just uh, working it out. It's seeing, seeing what happens if, that's, uh, that would be a good, a good motto. Yeah, what if? 
and that's I mean and that is something that's there in improvisation it's there in so many different forms of the arts I mean maybe that's like the old if you boil down if we're going to create another generalised lie mm-hmm. if, you, if you boil down a lot of art uh, it is probably at its core the what if as a question yeah yeah and it's been, I mean, it's been a pleasure getting a better acquainted with you today because, I mean, you are in yourself a what if question to me. Like, what, 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 what makes, what makes, what makes him tick? What makes it? What, 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 what is he going to say about his this this strange thing that he makes that is 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 so relatable and I, I connect to so much. And it's been really interesting to talk to you about that stuff today. Uh, the last the last thing that I ask my guests, uh, the last question that I ask my guests is uh, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> well, yes. Uh, <laughs> I will be putting this new show together over the course of this year. It has the title The Hay Wayne Reloaded. Will be, it's a, uh, a show about John Constable's uh, 1821 masterpiece, uh, or at least the painting form for the frame. And, yeah, I'll be star- uh, starting to do that next weekend, actually, in, in Swansea, and then doing it at the, uh, at the Leicester Comedy Festival, which is probably the most sensible thing for me to plug on the 20th of February. 20th of February, in, okay. At, the, uh, at Heroes at the Criterion at 3.30. Right, I know, um, I know the exact... Uh, right, I know where I'll put you in the schedule now. I can see where I'm going to write you in my little running order list. <laughs> That's um, always nice. So, yeah, I, so yes, the plug. I come to my... I, there will be other bits and pieces... Uh, in between I go to my website and then uh, that's where I go to find out what it is that I'm doing and what is your website uh, it's uh, it's uh, uk. <laughs> the emphasis .co.uk means cheaper that's what I know because all, all of my all of my sites are .co.uk it's so much cheaper than the com yes now, now we should say where we've got to way, as far as uh, uh, this is now Victoria Park right and we've walked past, and we've basically gone through, yeah, through Bethnal Green, yeah. uh, which is probably where I'll walk back to in a moment. We've come along the, the canal a long way now. And well, whatever else we've achieved. We've achieved that. We've achieved distance. <laughs> distance, indeed. <laughs> right, so I mean, I'll, I'll put this out probably the week before Leicester, the Leicester Comedy Festival, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, but, but if you're listening to that after that, go and see, go to Michael's website and see what he's doing. Are you, a, are you a comedian who updates their website regularly? I do, because... No, I mean... Because a lot of comedians don't. No, I do for, <laughs> myself, for myself. Nobody visits my website. I think I do it most, because that's why I know well, what I'm doing next. <laughs> so I'm very, very careful to update my gigs, especially on the, on the old uh, the gigs page. Because it's basically your diary. I, that's where I go to look to find out <laughs> what it is that I'm doing. And also, with my increasingly fading memory... To go back and find find out what it what the hell it was that I did. <laughs> right. And the last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, cheers, guys. Goodbye. I'll miss you. Bye, everyone. So I'll see you again. <laughs> I sort of prematurely added my goodbye, everyone, there, and now and then I was like, oh, hang on, what's he going to say next? <laughs> That's quite a nice way to end it. <laughs> So if you're in the Leicester area, do go and check out Michael on the 20th. And if you're in the London area and you get this on the day it comes out or the day after, do check out Stand Up Tragedy Presents at the Dog Star in Brixton on Thursday the 18th of November. 
where I will be doing my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can find out more about at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And that is part of a double bill with Jambi McGrath, who's a comedian, kind of a storytelling comedian who talks about some dark and complicated subject matter she's doing her show a last dance with my father after mine it's 7 30 that the doors open eight o'clock my show 9 15 jambi's show and the night is pay what you think the shows deserve another way to think about it is kind of cross referencing how much you can afford and how much you enjoy the shows so that people who can afford to support the arts do and people who can't afford to support the arts don't have to and while I'm talking about money, why not consider donating to keep Getting Better Acquainted going? You can do that by going to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. There is a button which says Donate Now or something along those lines. And so if you'd like to make a donation to keep this free podcast happening, please do so. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.